You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. I've mentioned this quote before, uh, but there was a, a famous pastor from the 19th century named J.C. Ryle, and he was commenting on the Gospel of Mark, and he said that it's a history of our Lord's works rather than his words. It's a history of our Lord's works rather than his words. And I think that we've, we've seen that that is mostly true over the course of these last three chapters that we've been studying. I mean, we've already, just in these opening chapters, have experienced Jesus' baptism, his uh, temptation in the wilderness, and the numerous, numerous miracles that he has performed. And and, and as I've also mentioned, uh, the word uh, immediately in the book of Mark occurs over 41 different times. We've seen this story play out at a whirlwind pace, moving you from one action of Jesus immediately to the next and to the next and to the next. But that doesn't mean that Mark only focuses on the works of Christ. Uh, While the the first three chapters have primarily looked at Jesus' works, chapter 4 pauses for a moment to dwell instead on his words and his teachings. Back in chapter 1, Jesus declared that the kingdom of God was at hand, and it's now here in chapter 4 through a, a series of parables that you'll hear Jesus teach on the nature of this kingdom. So we're actually going to take a couple of weeks and reflect for ourselves on some of these kingdom parables. Uh, Specifically this morning, we're looking at one of Jesus's most famous parables, uh, the parable of the sower. And through it, we'll see how Christ's kingdom uh, will be cultivated, how Christ's kingdom will be cultivated, how it's going to grow. Uh, The growth of God's kingdom is guaranteed Uh, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but the cultivation of Christ's kingdom can be hindered or accelerated depending on the condition of the human heart. And and so to to see that, we're going to look at the three major parts of this parable. Uh, First, at the role of the sower, then the role of the seed, and finally, at the role of the soil. So let me read our text And then we'll dive right in. Parable of the sower. Again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. And the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So Jesus is teaching the crowds along the sea. Uh, and there's so many present that he's had to hop in a boat and use it as sort of a, a makeshift pulpit so everyone can see and hear him. And he begins to preach, but as he preaches, verse 2 notes that he decides to preach to the crowds using parables. So let me just give you a, a quick word on parables before we actually desi- you know, dive in to this specific parable that we're going to study. I mean, why did Jesus relies so heavily on them throughout his ministry anyway. And it's clear as you read the story that the disciples themselves don't even understand this parable until he explains it to them. So so why not just plainly teach the gospel instead? I mean, wouldn't that win over more converts to this kingdom that Jesus is trying to build? I think the reason for the parables is actually because of the nature of the crowds. Most of the crowds didn't actually care anything about Jesus's kingdom. They only wanted to use him for personal gain. So so these parables are, are actually a way to kind of circumnavigate those crowds. They give Jesus the ability to to speak in such a way that without further explanation, most of the crowds aren't going to understand what he's saying. But 
But those who are genuinely seeking Christ and in whom the Holy Spirit is at work, or as Jesus put it, in, in those who, you know, who have ears to hear, they will understand this cryptic language that Jesus is using. And, and it's also will be communicated to them in such a way that will be easy for them to remember. Parables are, are very simple stories, but they communicate complex theological ideas. So that's, that's why he is using and teaching these parables, because most of the crowds are, are simply just trying to, to use him, and they're, they're not really interested in his kingdom at all. So he, he uses the, the parables to kind of circumnavigate the crowds and, and speaks directly to those who are, are genuinely seeking after Christ and in whom the, the Holy Spirit is at work. So understanding kind of that, that reasoning, why he's, he's teaching in parables, um, let's look to the, the first part of the parable of the sower, which unsurprisingly deals with the role of the sower. Uh, we won't spend as much time discussing the sower because Jesus didn't spend much time on it, uh, but it is important nonetheless. Jesus says in verse 3, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, it's never directly stated, but the sower clearly represents God. He's the mastermind behind this plan to scatter seed across a number of different surfaces in order to grow his kingdom. And when you realize that God is the sower, uh, there's an immediate issue that you have to, to wrestle with which is the way in which God approaches his role as the sower. Now, I, I have never been a farmer in my entire life, but I always grew up in a farming community and in a church filled with farmers. And, and I always wondered if farmers ever got frustrated with this particular parable. But because God, who is the sower... He takes this valuable seed and he seemingly wastes three-fourths of it. I mean, he throws the seed on a path where the birds can get it. He throws it on rocky ground where there's no hope of it taking root. Uh, and among thorns that are just going to choke out the crop the, the moment it starts to sprout. I mean, only a fraction of the seed actually makes it to good soil and has any chance of, at all of survival. I mean, what kind of farmer who, who knows anything about farming does that? Any farmer worth his salt, you would think, would, would be careful to choose where he plants his crop. So, so surely God has to be like the world's worst farmer. Yet... When you read this parable in its entirety, what do you discover? You see in verse 8 that the seed that does sprout in good soil goes on to produce a harvest, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
Now, again, I'm not a farmer, so I had to do some research to see what a normal harvest would look like. And in the first century, in Jesus's day, a typical farmer could expect a harvest of about sixfold to eightfold. So everything that you planted, your return would be six to eight times your investment. So, so while you can question God's methodology, you cannot question his results. I mean, it's obvious that even a 30-fold harvest is significantly greater than an eight-fold harvest. So, so the way in which God grows his kingdom may look a little messy at times, maybe even haphazard from a human perspective, but, but you simply have to wait until those results are in before you make any kind of judgment call. You can't judge God's role as the sower until you see the harvest that he yields. And when you do see just how many souls are standing around his throne in eternity, that 30-fold, that 60-fold, that 100-fold yield, you'll, you'll begin to realize that the Lord knew precisely what he was doing all along. So, so that's the sower. Uh, let's, let's move on to talk about the seed. What, what does the seed represent in this parable? Uh, Jesus gives you the answer when he explains it to his disciples in verse 14. He says that the sower sows the word. So, so the seed is the word of God or, or the message of God. It's the gospel, the, the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that he came to preach. So, so Jesus compares his gospel message and that kingdom that he's come to proclaim with a bag of seeds that a farmer will scatter in a field. Now, we'll talk more about that seed next week in some of the upcoming parables, but comparing his kingdom to seed gives you significant insight into how Jesus plans on cultivating his kingdom, how his kingdom is, is going to grow. In Jesus' day, if, if you spoke about the arrival of a kingdom, you, you were really speaking about the arrival of a sword. I mean, that's how kingdoms grew. A king would send his soldiers into enemy territory and the people in that land would either die by the sword or they would surrender and become a part of that king's kingdom. Kingdoms came and arrived by the sword. But Jesus says his kingdom is not like a sword. Instead, it's like a seed. Now, elsewhere, you, you will hear Jesus say things like, he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. And what he meant by that is that his message is divisive. It can cut like a sword. But Jesus doesn't say that his kingdom grows like a sword. It grows like a seed. Now, there, there's several uh, ramifications to that as you think about what that means. Uh, it, it means that Jesus' kingdom, 
like a seed, starts off small. It, it's unassuming. And then it, it grows from the inside out. It, it's not the word of outside forces working their way in like an army besieging a city. It, it begins below the surface like a, a germinating seed, and, and it works its way outward. I mean, you, you can drive through Lewis County during planting season, and you'll see that there's really not that much to look at. All you see is empty land stretching for miles, but that doesn't mean that nothing is happening. It's just that all the work is going on below the surface. And similarly, God's kingdom may not always have the appearance of growth either, but that doesn't mean that it's not growing. Even if the seed is still below the surface, that doesn't mean that it's not at work. And so for any one of us who would call ourselves committed followers of Christ and who want to assist Jesus in cultivating his kingdom, uh, this means a couple of things for you and I. The first is, is the realization that seeds demand Patience. I mean, that's just farming 101. A farmer doesn't give up just because his seed hasn't yielded harvest overnight. He doesn't go out and find another profession in frustration just because his crops didn't grow instantly. Any knowledgeable farmer who has any idea of what he's getting himself into knows that farming takes dedication and planning and a whole lot of patience, which means that Christians likewise must be committed to long-term growth rather than short-term gain. The church cannot give up just because they don't see the results overnight. You can't stop watering the soil just because you haven't seen any growth yet. If you're going to assist in planting seed, you have to have the patience to wait for the harvest. Even if your neighbor doesn't appear to be any closer to understanding the gospel, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't at work below the surface of their heart. Just because a family member appears to be far away from the kingdom, that doesn't mean that Christ's kingdom isn't being cultivated in their life. Success, then, cannot be measured by the number of individuals who come to service or attend any particular event. It can only be measured by the number of souls who eventually submit their lives to Christ for all eternity. And to see that kind of harvest arrive takes patience. But secondly, it also means that you must be ready. You have to be patient for the harvest, but you also must be ready for that harvest. Because when the harvest does come, it will come in full force. 
I mean, ask any farmer around here what he's doing during harvest season, and you're only going to get one answer. He's harvesting. Sun up to sundown, sometimes before sun up, sometimes after some sundown, sometimes seven days a week. So, so often, churches like to, to pray for a harvest, but are you actually ready for that harvest? Will you know what to do with it when it finally arrives? Are, are you ready to greet and welcome new members into this church? Do you have room in your life to cultivate friendships with new individuals? Is your own spiritual life sharp enough to be effective at sharpening the lives of others? Farmers don't spend time waiting for the harvest by doing nothing. They spend their time preparing and getting ready. Are you so we've talked about the sower, we've talked about the seed, uh, let's spend the rest of our time getting into the heart of this parable, uh, which is the soil. Uh, if God is the sower and the gospel is the seed, then what does that make you? Where, where do you and I fit in? Well, the only element left is the soil. If you're not the sower, and if you're not the seed, then you must be the soil. And that, that's very fitting uh, when you step back and you look at kind of the larger storyline of the Bible. Uh, if you go all the way back to Genesis, when God created the first man, uh, what did he create him from? He created him from the soil, from the dust of the ground. And what did God name him? He called him Adam, which is nearly identical to the word, the Hebrew word Adama, which means dirt. So each one of you may be a different kind of dirt, but at the end of the day, that's all we actually are, just garden variety dirt. Jesus speaks of four different kinds of soil here in this parable, and each of them represent a different state of the human heart, and three of which are, are not conducive to cultivating Jesus' kingdom, and only one of which that is. So, so this parable serves as a warning to all who are or will commit to following Christ. Uh, the first soil in this parable represents the hard heart. Uh, verse 4 says that some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Then in verse 14, Jesus explains that those birds actually represent Satan, who comes to uh, take away what has been sown before it can take root. And this represents the hard heart. Uh, in Jesus's time, I've mentioned this before, but, but paths uh, often zigzagged through fields connecting one village to another. And, you know, it would be common enough for a farmer out in the field to accidentally spill uh, some seed on one of those paths. 
but it would never grow because the more people that walked on those paths, the more that dirt got pressed into the ground and the harder it got. So that seed could never even penetrate. And the soil of the heart of some is so hard that God's word will never have the chance of penetrating either. That that seed just bounces off and is left exposed for Satan to swoop in like a hungry bird. It is possible for you to hear the gospel time and time again, yet for it to make no discernible impact on your life. Where your heart has been walked on so much by this world that it is just callous and as hard as concrete. But if it's left in that condition, then the kingdom of Christ will never be able to grow inside. That's the the warning that Jesus gives you here. That's the the first state of the heart. The uh, The second soil represents the shallow heart. Jesus says there in verse 5 that other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Then Jesus goes on in verses 16 and 17 and he says that that represents The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That's that's the shallow heart, where, where the seed of the gospel penetrates the heart's soil, but it doesn't penetrate very far. And because the soil has no depth, it can spring up quickly. But because it has no room for roots, it can wither away just as quickly. Uh, There's a pastor that I highly revere uh, named Mark Dever. Uh, He's a Southern Baptist pastor in Washington, D.C. And he was telling a story a while back in an interview that he did uh, about this individual that was in his congregation who had been uh, attending service for a while. And he came up to Mark after service one day, uh, and he was very excited. He was very joyful. And, and he told them uh, that he had just been converted. He told them he had just been saved, and he, he wanted the pastor to know. And in response to all of that excitement, Mark Dever simply said, We'll see. That, that was his response. Is all, his, all he said is, we'll see. And, and that wasn't meant in any way to discourage that individual. Um, it, it wasn't meant to question his salvation or you know, to say that that experience uh, wasn't necessarily genuine. It, it was just acknowledging the reality that you can't see the roots that are below the surface of the heart. Only time will tell if the crop that is is sprouting up has roots that go deep enough to allow that plant to thrive and bear fruit. You really do simply have to wait and see. 
Because without those roots drawing in that life-sustaining truth of the gospel, then the sun will rise, the leaves will be scorched, and eventually that plant will wither away. Which means that as a church, we cannot be focused on fast growth. Instead, what we desperately, desperately need are deep roots. Someone's spiritual life can seemingly sprout before your eyes, but without ensuring that they are deeply rooted in Jesus, they can just as quickly wither away. So so Jesus spoke of the hard heart, the shallow heart, The third soil represents the divided heart. Jesus says in verse 7 that other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And then verse 18 and 19 go on to explain that that represents those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's the divided heart. Uh, There there is no other state of the human heart that can be more deceptive or more dangerous than the one that is divided. You've allowed the gospel to penetrate, and at least... Some roots have grown, so you don't immediately wither away. But but your life is so crowded that, that the roots are being choked out by the world and no fruit can be produced. Uh, hard hearts are easy to recognize. No, nothing has grown, so they are completely barren. They, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Shallow hearts are, are similar You give it a bit of time, they'll be scorched by the sun, and eventually they'll be just as barren as the hard heart. But if you have a divided heart, it's not always as easy to see or discern. You have at least some evidence of growth and commitment to Jesus. So it's easy to deceive yourself into believing that your heart is where it ought to be. At least until you realize that you're not bearing any fruit. Because a fruitless Christian is really a contradiction in terms. I mean, if you were to to go out and plant an apple tree that never bore any apples, eventually you would wonder if you actually planted an apple tree at all. I mean, for a couple of seasons, you you might just assume that the tree is still young, or or maybe the weather has just been bad, or the the temperature hasn't been quite right, or or the rain uh, hasn't been enough. But, But if season after season comes and goes, and there's still no apples to be seen, eventually you're going to realize that something seriously wrong, something is wrong with this tree. It's either not an apple tree like you thought, or it is so malnourished and so sickly that it can't even do the very thing that it was planted to do. 
And if you're a Christian who is not bearing gospel fruit, then you're either not a Christian or you are a Christian that is so malnourished and sickly that you can't even do the very thing that you were planted to do. That's the divided heart. But finally, you have the fertile heart. That's the only state of the soul that is conducive to cultivating the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Verse 8, Jesus concludes the parable saying that other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And verse 20 the very end of our, our verses, it says that those are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So the good soil represents the fertile heart, the heart that is faithfully bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some of you who would say that the soil of your own soul uh, has, has been too tainted to really, truly be fertile like Jesus is talking about here. It's been too poisoned by the things of your past to be productive. There's too much junk and refuse that has just been dumped into your life. But where you see refuse and feces, the Holy Spirit sees as fertilizer. What you see as worthless excrement, the Lord sees as that which can enrich the soil of your heart and make it ready for the harvest. There are others of you who will also look at your life and just say there are too many thorns, too many rocks to remove in order to make your soil fertile enough to bear fruit. And to that... I would simply ask, is that actually the job of the soil or is that the job of the sower? I mean, what what makes good soil good anyway? Soil doesn't make itself good. Soil doesn't go water itself. It doesn't go to the gardening center at Walmart to buy all of the nutrients it needs to be fertile. That's the job of the sower. The soil's job is simply to receive that which the sower has come to sow. Your heart will never be good enough to produce fruit on its own. The the fertile heart, which has good soil, is only good because the Holy Spirit has come into your life to prepare your soul to receive the seed of the gospel so that you might respond in faith. God's role as the sower is to give you the seed of the gospel. And the purpose of that gospel seed is to sprout inside your soul. And your role as the soil is simply run to the Holy Spirit so that he can till up your soul and fertilize it and make sure that it is good and ready to receive the seed of the gospel when it arrives. And so the Spirit can create an environment inside you where the gospel can thrive. 
That's how Christ's kingdom is cultivated. And if if you really want to see that kingdom in action, then look no further than the cross, where, where Christ literally took on thorns so that the thorns choking out your life might be removed, where where he died and was buried behind a rock so that the hardened stone of your own heart could be softened and saved. If you really want Christ's kingdom cultivated in your own life, then stop trying to do it on your own. Look to the cross and remember that you're just the soil and he alone is the sower. Let me pray.